The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel. I'm Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Shout out to New Day, N-E-U-D-A-E, at New Day Music on Twitter. Appreciate the song Lion Kings. James, we're going to hit the pause button on your divisional rundowns and kind of get back to the basics a little bit, maybe for newcomers. And even if you've been with us for a while, I think pretty much everybody could use a top 100 update. Top 100 prospects, maybe we'll go a little bit beyond, but I feel like this is a good primer for those who are maybe a little late to get into their, their draft prep. Yeah, and it actually it comes at a nice time because I did I was able to do kind of a full uh, sweep through the top 400 prospect rankings on Sunday. Not a ton changed in the top 100, but yeah, no, I mean it's it's definitely about as up to date as it as it can be right now. You know, we've I've accounted for the Brent Honeywell injury uh, moved a few guys up quite a bit just based on some drafts I'm in right now and just you know when you're when you're about to be on the clock in a league and there's a guy that like that's sometimes where a lot of the movement on these lists happens is when I actually have to put the list into action in a in a dynasty draft or even a single season draft with a guy like uh, Franchi Cordero or something like that you you kind of have to you realize that you're high on a guy, but in actuality on your list, like he's not as high as he needs to be. So that that's where some of that movement comes from. You know, a guy like Fernando Tatis, I moved ahead of Shohei Otani just because that's kind of the way the, the wind's blowing right now. And, and a lot of, a lot of minor tweaks inside the top 100. Yeah. I love what Tatis has done so far in big league camp. You got to be really encouraged about what he's doing. Just 19 years old could be pretty special, but we'll start right at the top. Your overall top 400, by the way, Get a free trial if you don't have a subscription, rotowire.com slash pod. That's rotowire.com slash pod. James does tremendous work. I'd say his his stuff is worth the subscription alone, quite honestly, but a ton of other awesome tools. 
more player notes than you can really handle. You probably should handle, you know, uh, it's a, it's a lot of content, but I, I'm biased obviously, but I think it's going to be well worth your time. But yeah, top 400 prospects, Ronald Acuna, top spot, not a big surprise. Heard Chipper Jones talking the other day about how he's the best prospect he's ever seen. Not, you know, I think this, it's out by now that this kid's special, but just how special I think maybe lost on some in the, the community who just are primarily focused on single season leagues, but I am maybe bumping Acuna down my list uh, for single season leagues a little bit. Maybe I was a little too, too aggressive early on, but I also think this organization and what I'm hearing from them makes me a little hesitant, just stupid stuff. Like with the hat. Oh yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here. I hate that, especially coming from a guy like Andrew Jones. Yeah. I feel like, they would have gotten even more heat if it had been coming from just like a an old school like old white guy in their like sixties. But uh, yeah, I mean, coming from Andrew Jones, that's kind of surprising to hear. I mean, who cares? Like he's a stud, and and we should be trying to bring a younger audience into the game. And yet, stuff like this, I feel like it just continually comes out of MLB and it's it's really kind of missing the the boat in terms of what we should be trying to put out there as a product but uh yeah he's having some fun you know he's having some fun he's cocky he knows he's really good he hasn't really been challenged ever as a pro uh even in the AFL when we got to see him he was kind of going through the motions he he kind of slacked his way to like a 850 OPS or something like that I mean he wasn't really trying that hard out there uh, the game just comes so easy for him. There's going to be some struggles at times, especially on, on really good breaking balls away. Uh, could see the strikeout rate being, you know, 25, 26% or something like that as a rookie. But this is a guy that, you know, in, in three or four years, he's going to be walking as much as he strikes out. He's going to be hitting 30 plus homers, stealing 20 plus bases with ease. I mean, this, this is a generational talent for sure. Yeah. I also heard Alex Anthopoulos on some show on XM talking, and I do think he'll be up after they gain that extra control, but maybe not immediately. I, some of what he said was, you know, I hate, I hated what I heard. He was kind of saying, you know, I was talking with Dansby Swanson. I asked him, you know, did you get enough at bats in the minors? And he was a little wishy washy on that. I, I just hope that they don't use that as an excuse to keep him down for longer than they should. I don't expect it to be the case, but uh gives me a little bit of pause. Maybe I'll put him uh, just outside my top 100 instead of inside of it. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., number two. I love this guy. He's already a little hefty, which is fine, but I, I really believe in the hit tool. The power is going to play. 18 years old. I'm through the roof, but obviously – doesn't have the proximity of Acuna or the speed, so that dings him a little bit in fantasy. But do you think he, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be a, a perennial all-star when he's up? Oh, yeah. Uh, easy. I mean, he's I've, I've thrown Albert Pujols comps on him on Twitter, which seem absurd and seem like something that nobody should really do. I mean, Albert Pujols is one of the best hitters of our lifetime, and that's kind of what Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to be. I, I just don't really see any way around it. I mean, the the fact that he's got such a great control of such a prodigious bat, I mean, he, he doesn't take bad swings. I mean, he's so good at making contact. He's so good at making impactful contact. He's going to have – I mean, you can look at his his minors, minor league numbers, uh, and it might not look on the surface that this is a guy that's going to hit 40-plus homers annually, but that's that's the type of raw power he has – and the fact that he's already got such a great command of the strike zone, such a great knack for making contact. It's just, it's such a flawless hitting profile for a player that young. It's just really hard to envision a scenario where he's not at least like Jose Abreu, you know I mean? That that's kind of like the realistic floor to me as a player like that, who it's a uh, top 40 player every year. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 330, you can just put it in the bank every year with a guy like that. I think that'll be the case with Guerrero as well in time. Victor Robles, number three on your list. The speed is kind of the strongest selling point for those playing fantasy, but what's the hit tool like? What, what kind of grade would you put on Robles' hit tool? 
I mean, there was a time probably two years ago where it was even two years ago, people were putting future seventies on the hit tool. So I know that his batting averages maybe don't quite look like he's going to be a, a perennial 300 hitter, but that's, that's the upside is a guy that's hitting 300, hitting 20 homers and stealing 40 bases. So I don't really have any concerns about anything in Robles' profile either. It's just a testament to how good Acuna and Vlad Guerrero Jr. are that he's third on this list. I mean, he would be, I like Robles right now more than I liked Yon Mankata this time last year, and he was the number one prospect in baseball. So it's, it's just a very special class we're dealing with here. A lot of the guys that are third, fourth, even fifth on this list would have been fine number one overall prospects in past years. Interesting. Number four, Eloy Jimenez, and you've been on him for a long, long time. We went and took our infamous trip to South Bend a couple of years ago, and he wasn't even among the among a lot of prospect guys. He wasn't even the top guy on that team, but I remember at the time you said, man, Eloy Jimenez is the most impressive player here. He's skyrocketed up lists in recent years, but I'm wondering, he's battled a little bit of a knee issue uh, already in camp. He had some leg issues in the Dominican Winter League. Any reason to be a little worried as far as that goes? No, I, I don't. I mean, I, we've been talking about Jimenez all spring as kind of a guy where it's going to be a tough call for the White Sox in terms of whether they bring him up this year, whether they hold him down until mid-April of 2019. Any kind of injury that, that slows him down and and you know, if he has to miss two or three weeks here, a week or two there, that all works towards pushing his debut date back to 2019. I mean, that might've been the case anyways. I mean, the White Sox might've decided internally, there's almost no way this guy can force his way up this year because we want to have that extra year of control during our competitive window. And that would make complete sense under the current rules. I mean, it, it totally sucks, but it, it, Sometimes you have to do stuff like that when that's the those are the rules of the game. Uh, I still think he needs to go in the kind of 400, 450 range in your NFPC draft and holds just because the upside is pretty crazy. I mean, he's a guy that could hit 280, 290 with 20 to 25 homers, even in a you know 100 games in, at the big leagues. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But that you have to know that he's also got a good shot of staying in the minors all year yeah absolutely and you mentioned that you put fernando tatis jr over she- shohei otani the number five spot man i love this kid there has been some talk that he could be up but is he in a similar boat to jimenez where just bit from a business standpoint just doesn't make sense for him to be up this year Yes and no. I think that the Padres are going to surprise people in terms of how quickly they try to move their competitive window up. And I think it would be kind of foolish for them to even try to make the postseason this year. But I also think that they, this is kind of a restless front office. Like the the White Sox are sort of sitting in this, they're basking in kind of this honeymoon of prospect list rankings and all that stuff. I don't really think the Padres care about that. I think they just want to, you know, this is a team that you know, as soon as AJ Preller took over, he sold ownership on a plan where he was going to try to make them competitive quickly. And that resulted in a, in a few bad moves. The Trey Turner one being particularly bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, I mean, they built up the farm system. They've got all this ammunition to use in trades you know, in a, in a landscape where every team seems to be terrified of trading away, even, even top 100 prospects, the Padres could turn this team into a a contender really quickly if they're willing to part with some of their top guys. And obviously I don't think Tatis is going anywhere, but if they're in things in May or June and they want to swing a few deals to add some pitching, then I could see him being up. I just don't see any scenario where the White Sox are remotely competitive this year, and I think that they're fine with that, whereas I think the the Padres front office might be a bit more restless. I don't think Tatis is coming up this year, but I, I think it would be foolish to completely rule it out, especially if he continues to hit the way he's hit this spring. Yeah, absolutely. Man, hard to believe they got him for James Shields. What a move. Uh, Shohei Otani, six, and this is 
This guy's the talk of the baseball world still. He's been pitching and hitting so far in the spring. Really, I know the results on the mound the other day weren't that great, but stuff looked impressive, and I was really impressed with his uh, plate discipline, the the pitches he was laying off of at the plate. Maybe he was just standing in there tracking, but uh, really looked comfortable in the batter's box as well. What are your expectations for this year in terms of workload on the pitching side and the hitting side? Uh, I just, I can't get on board at the, the price he's going at in, in redraft leagues. I just think that there's too much risk there. I, I, I kind of think you kind of got to value him the way you value a guy like James Paxton. And I think he's going well ahead of James Paxton in pretty much every draft because people are sort of dreaming on 170, 180 innings. And if you told me he was going to even if you told me Otani was going to throw 175 innings this year, I could I could buy in as a as a low end SP one or a high end SP two. But I think that especially given that they're going to start with a six man rotation early in the season, you can't really bank on that. I don't really know what the point is of, of talking too much about his his hitting ability, just because I can't see a scenario where you would start him as a hitter unless that. For so whatever daily lineup moves, yeah, if, sure. If you have a if you're in a funky league where you can change where he's at every single day, then that's that's awesome. I mean, he's got a ton of raw power. He's a, a really fast runner. I don't think the batting average is going to be all that great, but he'll he'll get on base at a pretty solid clip. But in ninety eight percent of leagues, you're just going to be using him as a pitcher. Just expanding beyond prospects only, right for a second. Any pitchers in that Angels rotation you are interested in? Because I'm looking up and down, and I'm like, uh, well, no, you know, no who, thanks. You no know thanks. who I like. You know who I like in that rotation. I like I like Skaggs. Oh, you like Skaggs? I'm okay. a I'm a. I kind of forgot that. I'm still on still on Tyler Skaggs. Uh, I like Garrett Richards at the right price. I mean, see, that's the thing. I just don't think his price is right right now. But yeah. No. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's. I'm not going to end up with Richards probably in in any redraft leagues, but he's a pitcher I like. Uh, I like. I think I will end up with a lot of Skags this year, just because I think he could put up a, a four ERA, one two five WHIP, and almost a strikeout per inning. And I don't think. I mean, his price is basically nothing right now. Yeah, I'm ready to stick a fork in Heaney myself. Just, I know it was just coming back from Tommy John, but really. Yeah, troubling those 12 homers and 21 and two-thirds. Uh, fewer than 60 total innings, even including the, the rehab starts over the past two years. I just think there's a lot of downside and not really much upside at all. But a quick note, fantasy baseball fans, spring training is underway and the regular season will be here before you know it. And with baseball season comes FanDuel, offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy baseball, no matter what you're looking for. FanDuel, the excitement of fantasy baseball without the full season grind. Something for everyone, tons of different contests and formats to choose from, starting at just 25 cents. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and enjoy watching the results in real time. I've mentioned, James, that I haven't had a ton of success, but it is a lot of fun. I am hoping to be more patient and slowly build my bankroll this year instead of just diving into contests like an idiot. Uh, but the, the game is exciting. New product variations, smaller rosters, NLAL only. There's truly something for everyone. Play against your friends for bragging rights or play against the public for millions in cash prizes. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at fandle.com slash RW. You'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription, which will help give you all of the tools you need to be successful with your first deposit on Fandle. Just visit fandle.com slash RW, void where prohibited. Number seven on your list, James, the guy that I'm really feeling good about as a Reds fan, Nick Senzel, is just looking like a big leaguer in camp. He's got that quiet confidence. He's working out at shortstop a lot, which I think, by the way, really is going to impact Jose Peraza long-term. I can't see him playing more than like half a season this year. Because I do think Senzel forces the issue, and I think he debuts it short. What do you think? That definitely seems to way seems to be the way things are are trending, and it's definitely not ideal. Uh, but that's kind of the roster the Reds have made for themselves, and uh, you'd like to. I mean, it's just it's so tough out there. Like teams, obviously, nobody's going to give them anything of value for Scooter Jeanette, and 
you know, I'm sure that there would be a taker for Eugenio Suarez if the price were low enough, uh, but it's probably best to just hold on to him. And like you said, I mean, Jose Peraza is, is, is and should be the odd man out there. I mean, he's a utility infielder at best and Senzel's a stud. And when you're rebuilding, it doesn't necessarily matter that much if your defense is not ideal in the infield. I mean, it, it's going to kind of suck for your pitchers and most of whom are young and, and can use all the help they can get. But, uh, yeah, it, it definitely seems like he's going to debut at shortstop and I would not be surprised if he were up in May or June. So definitely someone that needs to be rostered in a, in a lot of mixed leagues, unless you're using really small benches or it's a 10 or 12 teamer, uh, he really should be owned in, in most 15 teamers. Uh, what you said there is kind of a perfect slogan for the Reds over the past five years. And it's not ideal. <laughs> Look, just has to he's, he's a really good hitter. I think that like the fact that this prospect class is so loaded at the top with guys like Acuna and Vlad and Tatis and, and just these, these really flashy generational talents that that really kind of look the part of future superstars it's easy to kind of gloss over just how good of a hitter nick senzel is he's the type of guy that could easily be a number two or number three prospect in baseball most years uh just someone that could hit for you know 300 average hit 20 plus homers steal 15 bases i mean that's that's a hell of a player he's gonna hit probably second for them for a long time yeah, just the power could tick up with the new baseball and in great American yeah, ballpark. I mean, nobody should be surprised if he hits 30 homers in 2020. I mean, that, that definitely is in play. Absolutely. Bo Bichette, number eight. Uh, Glaber Torres, number nine. Forrest Whitley, number 10. Between Bichette uh, and Torres, I mean, Torres may be playing second a lot this year, but a shortstop for a lot of his time in the minor leagues. Uh, among these two guys, obviously, you do have Bichette a little bit higher. But if you, if you look at Glaber Torres, do you think this is a guy that with, with the the team around him, with a very little pressure on the, on the bat early on with the other bats in that lineup, I think he may be a guy who just kind of relaxes, settles in, and has more initial success at the big league level. Uh, more initial success than Bichette? Yeah. Um I I don't know. I think they're both going to just have a lot of initial success. Like there's, there's certain guys where they're going to come up and I'm going to tell people like, don't be, don't freak out if this guy struggles initially, but there aren't really any in this top 10. I, I, of all the hitters in this top 10, man, I, I would be surprised if any of them struggled much, you know, right away. I I think maybe guys like Acuna and, and Tatis would be, would maybe be the guys where the batting average I could see being like 250, 255 just because of some initial contact issues and just how young they are. But guys like Bichette and Torres, I, I just really don't see them struggling much at all. Both are guys that are going to hit for a, a pretty high average for, for rookies whenever they're up. Uh, Torres probably beats Bichette by almost a full calendar year. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really see much risk with either of these guys. The reason I have Bichette ahead of Torres is I just think the, the ceiling is, is higher and especially in the, the batting average department. I, I know that Gleyber Torres has a great hit tool. I think Bichette's hit tool is, is really special though. I think this is a guy that's going to compete for batting titles. He's going to be able to hit in front of Vlad Guerrero Jr. for his whole career possibly. So that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, I think both of their speed tools kind of grade out the same they're both going to be kind of like eight to 12 steel type of guys i was, I was wondering about that because bichette had 22 just 448 at best last year at high a yeah he did uh i think that was more of a product of just a a good athlete who got on base at like over <laughs> over 40 percent of the time mm-hmm. against low a batteries i mean that's kind of what that is in, in my opinion i don't think he's even an above average runner, but I think he's just going to get on base enough and have good enough reads that he'll, he'll stack up a few double digit steel seasons. But uh, both of these guys, you're owning them for their roster placement or their, their batting lineup, batting order placement. They're both guys that could hit second and in, in really good big league lineups. And they're both guys that could uh, hit over 300. Forrest Whitley, you've had him as your top pitching prospect for some time now, and that didn't change after news that he had been suspended 50 games for a drug of abuse really doesn't impact 
much at all with him, including ETA. Am I right? I mean, it might, yeah, it might have pushed his ETA back by like three or four weeks. I just, I don't think, I think his ETA was always going to be more dependent on just kind of when the Astros can make room for him. And I think that I've always, you know, especially after they got Garrett Cole, I've sort of been operating under the assumption that a, a decent move for them might be to just move Lance McCullers into a, into a, five six out relief role at a certain point in the season whenever whenever Whitley's ready and you move him into the rotation or a guy like Charlie Morton who often misses time gets hurt or you know somebody else gets hurt uh Dallas Keuchel missed time last year I mean there's there's all kinds of ways where Whitley can get a shot the fact that Jeff Luno said that he was he almost got a call last year tells you how close to big league ready this team thinks he is so I really don't think his his debut is going to all that impacted by this it's it's going to be more of a when can the Astros make room for him yeah I hear you that's not you know what you want to hear with a guy like this but I'm not really not really you know looking at that suspension and thinking oh man character concerns or makeup concerns just something that happens to a 20 year old kid I, I give him a pass there at least this one time Royce Lewis you're pretty dead set on him being a, a superstar player I think we were talking a few weeks back and I was wondering why the Twins wouldn't part with this guy for a guy like Archer, but you were pretty adamant that, you know, if you were a GM, you would you just pretty much would not trade Royce Lewis. No, it's just not the way the game's moving. You you can't trade guys that are going to be this good that you're going to be able to have on rookie deals or rookie-scale contracts. You know, I mean, it's it's just bad business. And, yeah, Chris Archer's great, but, you know, he could – all he needs to do is need Tommy John surgery at some point over the rest of that contract. And you've lost that deal in a, in a big way. So, uh, you need, I mean, if you're going to build a sustainable winner, the, the way the Astros have, you need star position players on those team friendly deals. And Royce Lewis is going to be that type of guy. I think that he's, it's kind of, I, I was thinking about this the other day. It's really kind of amazing that he had, the success he had at low a last year. I mean, this is a guy that was even kind of young for his high school class. It's not like he was a 19 year old guy. Uh, you look at what some of those other top guys from la- from the, the class before did at, at low a uh, Rutherford struggled a little bit. Mickey Moniak struggled a ton. Royce Lewis just goes out there. And I think he was like 20% better in league average as an 18 year old hit, hit for a little bit of power, showed off some speed. I mean, that, I think that kind of gets lost. I mean, people, there's a, there's a bunch of people out there that love Keston Hira and think that he's this super safe college bat. It's going to hit for really high average. And I, I agree with a lot of that. Royce Lewis was better at low A than Hira was. And he, he's like two years younger than him. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to me how good he was last year in full season ball. Kyle Tucker, Michael Kopech, Scott Kingery, Alex Reyes, 12 through 15 on your overall top 400. Reyes has already debuted. Uh, he'll be pitching in the big leagues again this season after Tommy John's surgery. Probably in the bullpen, but he could stretch out, return to that rotation later this year. Meanwhile, Tucker, Kopech, and Kingery, you have all pegged for a debut this season. Is that kind of the order you have them? Tucker, Kopech, Kingery, Reyes for this year, or would uh, you kind of mix that around if you're just talking about 2018. I would go Kingery, Kopech, Reyes, Tucker for 2018. Mm-hmm. I think that Kingery, it seems like all these prospects are just putting on a show this spring, and, and Kingery's already hit a couple bombs. I, you know, he's he's a tough guy to rank because if you look, if you just look at what he did last year, it's hard not to argue that he could be a legitimate five category contributor pretty early on. I just, I'm a little worried just because he's, he's older than most of these guys. Uh, you know, I, even if you take out his reading numbers, the rest all kind of passes the smell test. But, uh, I mean, I think he's going to be up in, in may probably may, if not, if not sooner. And then Kopech, I think is going to be up in may or June. Uh, Tucker might not be up until August. I mean, the, the Astros have a ton of depth. He, you know, he was fine at double a, but it's not like he was just, you know, kicking down the door and 
it's, I mean, Tucker wasn't as good at double A as Eloy Jimenez was. And we're talking about Eloy as a guy that, that might struggle to get up this year. And the Astros aren't going to be as concerned about his service time as the White Sox will be, but they also have a ton of depth. So what's the point of bringing him up if you have a guy like Derek Fisher hitting or something like that? I mean, there's, there's scenarios where Tucker doesn't even come up until September. Reyes, obviously, when he's healthy, he'll be in the big leagues, but that could definitely be as a multi-inning reliever. So it's just, I think, I think Kingery and, and Kopech, it's easy to see how they're fantasy relevant this year and, and pretty early on. Yeah. Getting back to Kingery for a second, where do you think we see him debut in the big leagues? What position? Uh, I'm going to bet myself that it's not second base actually. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that they, you know, Cesar Hernandez has been a better big leaguer than Michael Franco has. So I get that. I think it just kind of depends how Michael Franco's playing. If, yeah, it, it's not, it wasn't that long ago. What was it like two years ago where Michael Franco was a consensus top 100 pick in fantasy? You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's, wouldn't be the strangest I think thing. I if, had him that year. Yeah. I remember you and I, that was the year that they let us into Maine and we were, oh, we were no. desperately trying to get Franco and we got sniped on him in, in like the fifth <laughs> round or whatever that was. Um, what a learning experience that was. But. Yeah. Hey, we were ahead on, on Stanton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, sure. But yeah, so I think if, if Franco's hitting, I don't think it'll be at third base. If Franco's not hitting, it'll be at third base. I think it's kind of as simple as that. And if somehow Franco and Hernandez are both playing really well, uh, maybe he kind of gets shut out and it doesn't get to come up until June or July. I'm going to bet that one of those two guys, though, uh, leaves the door open and, and Kingery knocks it down. Interesting that he's been playing in center. That's not where I expect him to play, but uh, does he have the athleticism to actually do that if, if called upon? Yeah, and I think that that's... You know, a guy like Royce Lewis might end up in center just because that's where you get the most value out of out of an athlete like that. I guess I just never thought of that as an option, just given the Phillies already kind of crowded outfield. You know, a guy like Aaron Alther probably should be playing on a team like the Phillies, but he he's even kind of in the short side of a platoon situation. So I guess I never really thought of that as a logical landing spot, but yeah, he could play it. I mean, he he's probably not going to be a ton worse than a guy like Odebel Herrera out there. Yeah, it's just uh, something to keep in mind in case there is an injury in that outfield, especially in center to Herrera. Lewis Brinson, Juan Soto, Austin Hayes, Willie Adamas, Taylor Trammell, 16 through 20. And with Brinson, how much did his outlook change both in short-term and long-term with the trade from Milwaukee to Miami? I think it... It uh, improved in the short term, probably uh, hurt him a little bit in the long term, though, because I I always thought that one way or another, he was going to be the Brewers everyday center fielder and you'd rather him play in Miller Park than in Miami. Uh, So in that sense, it hurts him. He's going to be playing in a worse lineup. Uh, Granted, he might have been hitting seventh for the Brewers, but I I think there was a chance he could have played his way into the top five or six spots in that lineup. So I think just contextually, it hurts him long term, but I think it definitely helps him in the short term because there's nobody in his way. The only reason he wouldn't be on the opening day roster is if the Marlins want to game his uh, service time. But even then, he's only down till May, whereas with the Brewers, even if they hadn't made all those moves, he could have been down until June or July just based on their their depth. Juan Soto's a ways off, but really a toolsy kid who's exciting. And Austin Hayes... Definitely relevant for 2018 leagues. I'm a little bit concerned about the on-base skills just because he doesn't walk that much or hasn't historically, but do you think he's going to hit enough to be a, a big league regular? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just a he's a classic Oriole. Uh, you know, this has been Adam Jones's thing for forever. This is the same way. Like, just look at their farm system. Ryan Mountcastle doesn't walk. Jomar Reyes doesn't walk. Uh, they clearly don't really care. Uh Hey, we like guys that don't walk, and we don't like spending on the international market or the Orioles. Yeah, look, I mean, when was the last time a player that wasn't born in the U.S. was good? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's obviously concerning 
just in that his, you know, his floor is probably lower than it would be if he walked a ton. But I mean, what's, why would you walk when you're 60% better than league average at high A and double A? I, I just, he hasn't been in a situation where walking was a great idea. He was just murdering everything. So, uh, I think that it's, it's a skill that he can develop once he, faces some resistance from from pitchers he just hasn't really had to be patient before because he hasn't had any trouble and i think it's things are looking like they're gonna give colby rasmus the right field job to to start the season and he'll probably head to triple a which i think is fine but he'll be up at least by mid-may i would think to to be playing every day for them because i think we all know what colby rasmus is capable of um or maybe isn't capable of. And hey, we were talking about Maine earlier. This is a staple on that Maine team. Yeah, hey, yeah. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that was not, not great. That's a fun trip down memory lane. <laughs> Taylor Trammell, another red that I'm really excited about. He's a guy that I think, like, maybe if Vlad comes up early next April, he's a guy that maybe May of next year could be the number one prospect in baseball. And that's not just... I mean, Homer absolutely could be a top five guy. You know, you're going to have guys like uh, Royce Lewis will probably still be in that mix. Juan Soto will probably still be in that mix. But yeah, Trammell's right there with those guys. Uh, really love this kid. I mean, he's, if I was a Reds fan, I'd be really excited about Nick Senzel, but I might be saving my, my jersey money on a, on a Taylor Trammell <laughs> kit. Yeah, you read my mind. Uh, Jorge Mateo, love this kid's speed. You have him 21. Ryan McMahon, number 22. A lot of talk that he could be the Rockies' starting first baseman to start the year. I know Ian Desmond has played most of his time there early on this spring, but seems like they want McMahon and have him penciled in. So what are your expectations in his first big full big league season? I think he's going to be rosterable in 15-team leagues. I think he is going to benefit a lot from Coors Field. The one area where I would have been a little concerned would have been batting average, and there's only so low your average can be if you're playing half your games at Coors. He's got a better approach, better contact skills than a guy like Trevor Story. Uh, I think he probably hits 260, 265, something like that, with 15 to 25 homers. And he's he's a good athlete. He'll still might not steal 10 bases, but he'll, he'll at least steal like six or eight bases if he's, if he's even, even if he's sitting against some lefties. So uh, definitely a guy worth rostering. And I mean, if you're listening to this show, you're probably in leagues where McMahon needs to be rostered this season. Uh, I do think there's a chance he sits against lefties though. They just have so many players and he, I think long-term would be fine playing every day, but when you have that many guys that are deserving of at-bats, you're probably going to end up sitting some guys against tougher pitchers. Now, the Yankees brought in Brandon Drury from Arizona, but it seemed like that kind of ticked off Miguel Andahar. He's gone crazy so far this spring. Two more homers today. I think it was three and four already. Is he kind of – is this a situation where you're kind of – resigned to him starting in the minors or do you think there is actually a chance he forces their hand and maybe pushes brewery uh, brewery drury to second base to start the year i definitely think that that could happen uh my my initial read on that trade was that 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 could happen i mean i know that drury's best defensive home is third base but uh, I thought that, you know, Andahar was a guy that I think has earned the right to compete for a opening day gig on this team. I mean, he was so good at AAA last year. He was even good in the majors last year. Really hasn't done anything with the bat to warrant a demotion back to AAA. Defensively, I know that that's, that's an area where he's still working to improve, but, uh, you know, you're the it, the Yankees are in such an enviable position because they can let these kids learn kind of on the fly and still win 95 games because of how dangerous their veterans are and how dominant their bullpen's going to be. I mean, they they really can let Andujar go out there and sink or swim. They're going to be able to let Glaber Torres go out there and kind of learn on the job whenever he's ready, and it's not really going to affect their ability to win that division. I don't think. Yeah, I remember right before they acquired Drury from Arizona, 
did that CBS auction, and he went for like nine bucks. Andahar did. I'm hoping his price is pushed down and then labor this weekend because I'd love to get a share of him and ale only. Brendan Rogers, you're the kind of the low man on him, 24. Luis Urias, number 25. Walker Bueller, 26. Austin Riley, 27. Estevan Florial, another Yankees stud, number 28. Jemai Jones, 29. Alex Verdugo, 30. We got a long ways to go still on this list, but anybody that I just mentioned that you want to touch on quickly? Well, I know that Austin Riley hit a mammoth opposite field bomb today. Uh, like I was saying earlier, it seems like all these prospects are boosting their stock so far this spring. Uh, hey, they're, for, they're getting their hands on that new ball finally. The, they're bad on it. The most controversial guy, I think, in my top 30 is Brendan Rogers because there are other outlets that have him not only in the top 10 but in the top five. And the the thing that I just want people to know about Rogers is I, I think – I think people are overselling how high his ceiling is and also overselling how high his floor is. He has, it's not like he has mammoth raw power. It's kind of like 55 or 60 grade power and he doesn't have a plus hit tool. It's like a average or above average hit tool. I mean, they're really, if you just remove course field from the equation, Brendan Rogers is it basically has the same offensive tools as a guy like Carter Keyboom for the Nationals. And it's he has course field working for him. That's great, but that's not gonna make that's not gonna turn him from a twenty five home run hitter to a thirty five home run hitter. It's not gonna turn him from a two sixty five, two seventy hitter to like a three ten hitter. It's it's gonna help him. It's just not gonna help him as much as I think, or I, I think people know that, but I think people think that his baseline skills are that of like a 290 hitter with 30 plus homers. Like he, I don't think he would do that in a neutral ballpark. So I just think people are misreading his upside and they're looking at his numbers at Lancaster and getting a little too overexcited. He still struggles against righties. He doesn't walk. Like with Austin Hayes, he hasn't really had to walk, but he did struggle at double A last year, and he still didn't walk at all. So uh, the floor is not all that high with him, in in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good dose of reality with a guy like that because uh, I'm kind of with you. I'm not really seeing that ceiling that a lot of others do. But a quick note from our sponsor, Auto New Fantasy Baseball is the next level fantasy baseball challenge you've been looking for experience a year-round dynasty competition with deep rosters accumulate prospects to lead your team in the future or to move for a superstar at the trade deadline keep your baseball mind engaged in the offseason with trades and arbitration learn more about why everyone who plays auto new becomes addicted at www.autonewbaseball.com o-t-t-o-n-e-u o-t-t-o-n-e-u auto new Better fantasy baseball. James Willie Calhoun getting a lot of single season love. You have him 31st. Jesus Sanchez, 32. Leo Di Tavares, 33. AJ Puck, 34. Jalen Ortiz, 35. And Puck is the guy that I got in reserves in that CBS auction. But I think this is coming Saturday and then labor. I might throw him out for a buck because in that league, you can only take guys out of your lineup if they're on the DL or in the minor leagues. I feel like getting him for a buck and assuring that I get him and not rolling the dice in the reserve rounds is a good approach because I'm pretty pretty set and, and pretty confident that this kid's going to play a decent-sized role for this team this year. Uh, that was that was Willie Calhoun? Oh, I'm sorry, Puck. Oh, Puck. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, love, I love the idea of trying to get Puck in a format like that. He... You know, just based on where some prospects go in those labor-only leagues, I think he's probably there for you in reserves, but uh, I like the idea of just kind of not leaving it to chance. Yeah, exactly. I think he... Th- look, the A's are really aggressive, uh, especially with pitching prospects. They they handle pitching prospects the way I would handle pitching prospects, where they kind of, you know, they let them... They Use challenge them. Bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You challenge them. And I think that Puck's the type of guy where, you know, he could put up a one three seven whip in the 
big leagues, but I think he's going to easily strike out over a batter per inning. Uh, even if he, even if the whips in the mid one threes and the ERA is like four or four ten, that's still a super serviceable pitcher in an only league, especially with those strikeouts. So yeah, I, I love that idea. Lewis Robert, Colton Welker, Keston Hira, Carter Keyboom, and Luis Gohara, numbers 36 through 40. Keyboom's the guy who seems to just be steadily creeping up your list. Is he a guy you, you recently bumped up even further? Because I don't remember seeing him as high as 39. Keyboom? No, he's he's been there. Uh, I had to part with him in SKL2 to get uh, Corey Kluber. Oh, that's right, right. Uh, what do you that, like so much about his game? I just think he's going to be a guy that hits you know, 280 290 in his prime with 25 plus homers and i know he could move off shortstop and he probably will with trey turner there but i don't really see anywhere else for him to land other than third base or second base so i'm not going to discount him too much because of that it's just how many how many full season hitters are there that you think that i think can realistically be positive contributors and batting average and power while sticking on the dirt. I mean, it's just not all that many. So that's, that's why he's that high. Number 41, Tristan, Tristan McKenzie. I'm having trouble with names today. Mackenzie Gore, Joe Adele, Sixto Sanchez, Jesse Winker, Helio Ramos, Michael Baez, Kybert Ruiz, Dustin Fowler, Kyle Wright, uh, 41 through 50. And among this group of 10, really only Winker, Dustin Fowler are going to see extended run at the big t- big league level. Maybe they're the only two guys who cracked the majors at any point this year. But, but between Winker and Fowler, just for 2018, uh, who do you like a little more? So I'm starting to get pretty high on Fowler myself. I'm going to go with Winker just because I think – well, I, I would take – I think I would take Fowler – if I'm chasing upside, but I think Winker's floor is just so much higher. I think that he could be a positive contributor in batting average this year. I think he's going to, going to, going to probably in a decent spot in that lineup, especially against righties. And you know, the power he could hit, he could hit 15 to 20 homers. I think you're buying Winker for the batting average and the runs Fowler, you know, he could hit 270 with, 15 homers and 20 steals this year, but you know, he's not an elite prospect. He could also come up and hit 240 and hit eight homers and steal 13 bases. I mean, there's, there's a lower floor with him and he's fast, but he's not so fast that the steals are going to overcome him hitting for a a low average. So I I love him long-term, but I just, I don't think he's that caliber prospect where, it would be surprising if he came up and really struggled in year one. Yeah. I'm getting back to Winker for a second. You know, a lot of people, obviously with the talk of the four men rotation, outfield rotation in Cincinnati think that he's going to have the most impact on guys like Shebler and Duvall. But I really think he could take a good deal of value away from, from Billy Hamilton, who to this point gives you a lot of counting category juice. But if he takes over that leadoff spot, bumps Billy down. I mean, that's a huge impact on Billy Hamilton. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and I think really it, Winker's an ideal fit for that spot. And it's it's kind of weird that people aren't factoring that in. I <laughs> And I, I definitely think that Billy Hamilton gets underrated in some circles, but I also think he gets overrated in some circles because Sam. he's not a good hitter. He is a great defender, but when you're just, when you're that bad of a hitter, how long can you be left in in the leadoff spot? I mean, it's just, it's kind of playing uh, like a 1980s or 1990s mindset where you're just batting. I mean, it's given me flashbacks to when the Brewers used to bat Nigel Morgan leadoff. I mean, it's just like, uh, uh, yikes, get him, hit him, hit him eighth. I'd rather hit him ninth than, than hit him first. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, but I wouldn't put anything past Brian Price. He's done this for a long time, but I think eventually Hopefully that front office just kind of kicks him in the ass and says, "Look, you, if you want to continue on as our manager, you got to make some changes." Here. I I wouldn't even be opposed to like I think I think you keep playing Billy every day, uh, at least until like May. But if he's just if he's hitting 
255 and getting on base at like a 285 clip, I I would start giving guys like Shebler, maybe even a guy like Winker, starts in center field. Like if you're going to play Senzel at shortstop, what's what's so bad about playing Shebler or Winker in center field and, and just kind of using Billy Hamilton as a guy that starts three or four days a week and, and gets a ton of action as a defensive sub or, or pinch runner late in games. I mean, he really hasn't hit enough to this point in his career to justify the amount of plate appearances he would get as a, as a leadoff hitter and an everyday player. Number 51, Austin Beck, 52, Francisco Mejia, 53, J.P. Crawford, 54, Monty Harrison, 55, Michael Chavis, 56, Franklin Barreto, 57, Brent Honeywell, who unfortunately was forced to undergo Tommy John surgery, 58, Jordan Alvarez, 59, Brandon Marsh, 60, Wander Javier. And you just want to remind our listeners or maybe tell those who are listening for the first time why you're so down on Francisco Mejia. I just think it's, you know, time and time again, people have gotten burned by investing in really, really high, highly ranked catching prospects who have suspect defensive profiles. I mean, Blake Swihart, Kyle Schwarber, uh, it's, (laughs) I'm trying to think of the last guy that was the consensus top catching prospect in the game who went on to be a great fantasy contributor. I mean, Gary Sanchez is awesome, but when he became awesome, he was like ranked in like the eighties on like prospect list setting into that year. Uh, Francisco Mejia is not a great defender. He's got a good arm. He's got a really good hit tool. He has, you know, 15 to 20 Homer power, but defensive minded teams, uh, the Indians are kind of at the forefront of that, aren't going to put a guy that is a bad framer behind the dish for an extended period of time. They might not even put him behind the dish. Like, I think there's a chance he never catches a big league game for the Indians, like, going forward. And that's that's kind of a sad reality, but it's it's a reality. It's, it's a possible outcome at this point. And this is a team that's going to be competing for division titles for the foreseeable future. If they don't think he can give them at least just passable defense behind the plate. They have two guys that can. And while I like the idea of him maybe playing second base or third base long-term for them, I don't really see an avenue for him to play those spots this year. Uh, It's just, I think people are getting a little carried away with him, especially in redraft leagues. I don't, I just don't think he's even a guy that I would target in a two catcher league, even a deep one. I just don't, I just don't really see him contributing much in 2018. Yeah, I think that's wise advice, especially for those who are contemplating maybe taking the UT only to start the year. Mejia, expecting him to see enough time at catcher to qualify there. I'm, I just don't think. What it's do you happen. think he's going to go for in AL labor? Huh, that's a good question. Because he's UT only, maybe he, just a buck or two. I mean, he went for like what do you go for in your CBS one? Like eight, eight yeah, bucks. That's right. I think the owner is a little bit more conservative in the in labor. It's one word for it. Uh, did you recently move Franklin Barreto back up a little bit? Uh, no, no, no. I was kind of souring on him a little bit myself. That's about um, as low as I could justify putting him. I mean, he's going to probably be in the big leagues more than he's in the minors this year. Uh, he's a plus runner. He's sells out for power currently. Uh, I, I'd love it if Franklin Barreto just accepted the fact that he's not a power hitter and, tried to hit for as high of an average as he possibly could i would have him probably in my top 40 because i think he has the bat to ball skills when he wants to to be a 280 285 hitter but unless his current approach changes i just i don't really see it happening mike soroka austin meadows jake bowers mitch keller adonis medina nolan jones hunter green cole tucker hudson potts yasel antuna 61 through 70 and mitch keller was somebody that i got a couple shares of in draft champions late i know this team typically slow plays their pitching prospects but how many starts do you see keller making at the big league level this year uh man zero 
Oh, really? <laughs> you think, have him as a 2018 ETA guy. Come on. Yeah. Killing my dreams. I do. Um, I, I wish you had set like an over-under so I could have just taken the under on whatever you put. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I feel I like. I say like four and a half. I, yeah, I'll take the under on that. Uh, wow. I just don't. So the, the Pirates have a good 10 or so guys that they are going to be more than comfortable giving starts to in the big leagues this year. And I think that they're going to kind of treat this year as a, like, let's see what we have type of year from a lot of these guys. And, uh, you know, Mitch Keller is a pretty good pitching prospect, but he's not a finished product. He's, he's currently kind of a, a two pitch guy. Uh, if he can improve his change up, uh, quicker than I expect him to, then maybe he gets a dozen starts in the big leagues this year. But again, like you said, I mean, the, t- I, I made this comparison before we went to the AFL. Like, I think he's going to be this year's Brent Honeywell, where people just, they know he's a great pitching prospect and they know that he's got experience at double A. So they just assume he's going to be up in the big leagues. And Honeywell probably should have been up in the big leagues last year, but. The Rays, it shouldn't have been surprising that the Rays held him down, just like it shouldn't be surprising if the Pirates do the same thing this year. These are probably the two most uh, conservative teams when it comes to promoting pitching prospects. So I, I definitely think if you're, if you're drafting Keller to stash him, especially in a you know, 15-team mixer, I think that that's a, a losing proposition. Yeah, I keep telling myself, uh, draft champions is different, but I keep telling myself in our stake league, our staff keeper leagues, I'm not going to be playing those games anymore. I'm sure that's. I'm sure I'm going to go well, back on. Yeah, that. wait till stake league where you and I both leave the draft with like a combined four prospects for stashing <laughs> or a combined eight prospects. Yeah, for it's stashing. inevitable that I'm going to be playing that that game. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. All right. You heard it here. I've been saying that too, man. But you got to face the facts. You got to face reality. Seventy-one through eighty: Jack Flaherty, Nate Pearson, Freudis Nova, Tristan Lutz, Luis Garcia, Jesus Lazardo. Francisco Morales, Corbin Burns, Franchi, my boy, Franchi Cordero, 79, Asturi Ruiz, and jumping back to the top of that list, Jack Flaherty's been looking pretty good this spring, man. I was not sold on him as a, as a big-time prospect because of the Ks, but I uh, look at Adam Wainwright. doesn't look like a big obstacle for Flaherty to overcome. So do you think he's somebody that is a sneaky uh, late round dart, and I saw Jeff Erickson took that or threw that dart in his beat Jeff Erickson league. Do you think that was a good call? Absolutely. I think you know if you put the over under on big league starts for Flaherty at like, well, what? Why don't you set it? What would you, um, would you throw it at? Say fourteen and a half. Oh, over. Yeah, okay. I was going to say like eighteen and a half, uh, and I would probably gotten over on that too. I mean, there's just so many ways where I can see him getting starts. Like Miles Mikolas. Yeah. Who, who knows? <laughs> who knows what? Yeah. Who knows? I'm I mean, not put- he could be a number yeah. three starter. He could be a middle reliever. I don't have any idea, but you could easily see him. Like Flaherty might be better in Mikolas this very moment. Uh, Wainwright. Yeah, that's that's one way to get in. You know, the, any other Waka, like not the not a pillar of health, you know. I mean, there's there's all kinds of ways where Flaherty could get starts, and I think he's big league ready. And Cordero, like our love for him has kind of become a bit at this point. It's kind of become it's a, a goof. goof. Yeah. It's a goof. It's a classic gag. <laughs> but I really do think he's just kind of a fun sleeper, not somebody that was ever really heralded because of the plate discipline. But I think he's – I'm kind of buying into some of the improvements he's shown over the, the winter. Well, my, my favorite thing with Cordero is when, like, one of us, like – you know, does the little bit about how we love him. And someone, someone will say like, Oh, I don't know. Those strikeout numbers. It's like, well, yeah, like yeah, he, exactly. he, if he'd struck out like 22% of the time, he wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about him like this. Cause yeah. he would have an everyday job with no questions asked going into spring training. Nuances. It's lost <laughs> on, on a lot of people nowadays. Anthony Alford, another guy that I'm going to be targeting in labor kind of strategically through my final five in CBS on him. Don't think he's going to cost me that much, but somebody that I'd be interested in, in the auction portion of labor. Do you think that that's a good call? Is, is he going to play enough to justify that? I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do that. I, he'd be a guy that I would take in the reserve rounds. I'm sure you're targeting him because you know, he's not going to be there in the reserve rounds, but, uh, 
I just he's a guy I actually had moved. I did move up on this last update. Uh, I had him just outside the top 100 and I just have been getting, I've actually been getting more pushback on where I've, where I have him ranked than I have Francisco Mejia. Uh, people just love Anthony Alford. One guy told me in the comments that he's going to be a 2020 guy that hits 280. Uh, sure. I mean, it, it's not impossible, I just I would bet against him doing two of those three things in the same season ever. I think that he could hit 20 plus homers in a season and he could steal 20 plus bases in a season. I even think he could maybe hit 280 if he gets a lot of breaks. I just I just don't think he's that player. I don't think he's going to put all those things together at the same time. If I'm taking him this year, I'm really just taking him for the speed and you know, I think he could get you 12 to 20 steals if he gets you know, he plays in 80 games or so, which is fine in an AL only. I just, I don't know when he's going to be up. I think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be tough to justify stashing into May and into June if he's not up. Yeah, a lot of injuries too as a pro so far. We'll, we'll see. Something that I am interested in, but you make a lot of good points. To maybe temper expectations a little bit. Franklin Perez, Colby Aller, DJ Peters, Garrett Whitley, Sheldon Noisy, who's another guy who's crushing the ball this spring. Ian Anderson, Chris Shaw, Bobby Bradley, Jason Rosario. Any one of these one guys you want to spotlight? I'll spotlight Sheldon Noisy. He's just, I feel like he's criminally underrated in Dynasty Leagues. I, I have him as a top 100 guy, obviously. I think there are people that don't even see him as a top 200 guy just based on you know he i'm doing my tdgx uh first year player draft right now he's still out there i believe and we're into the 20s i mean guys like uh guys like alex fado um who are some recent guys that have gone like drew steckenrider just went uh seth romero you know a lot of guys have gone luke gregerson went and sheldon noisy's still out there uh I I think he's just a classic DH thumper. I mean, I, he doesn't have the same contact skills that Willie Calhoun does, but I think the overall production is actually going to be kind of similar between those two guys in time. He's been rushed a lot more aggressively than than Calhoun has uh, changed organizations, but he mashed in the AFL. He's been mashing so far this spring. One of the one of the beat writers for the A's said estimated that he hit a ball about 500 feet the other day uh that might have been a little over eager on the estimation but i mean at the very least it went 450 he's country strong he's he's definitely built like a tank i don't think he's going to provide much value with the glove but i think he's going to hit i think he's going to get on base i think he's going to hit for power and i think he's going to probably hit like fourth or fifth in that lineup when it's all said and done yeah it's a fitting last name because that bat is loud we saw it in Arizona, and I was surprised even in our Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, even if those other owners were discounting him, I thought you you might pounce. I was lucky to get him pretty late in that one. Kevin Maiton, number 91, of course, changing organizations this offseason. Asan Diaz, another guy changing orgs, traded to Miami. Brendan McKay, 93. Garrett Hampson, 94. Justin Williams, 95. Uh, Lazarito, Lazaro Armenteros, number 96. Will Benson, 97. Nick Prado, 98, Jay Grom, 99, and finally, Magniri Sierra, number 100. Sierra's an interesting guy because he was on the Cardinals 40-man yo-yoed last year before being traded. Do you think he's somebody that, you know, since he's on the 40-man already, could end up playing a decent amount in Miami this year? I really hope that they take a conservative approach with him. I think he's a guy that was rushed and kind of yo-yoed last year, and I think it would be – to his benefit to spend most of the year in the minors, I don't think they're going to necessarily do that. I think that they they just have such terrible outfielders that <laughs> at a certain point it's like, well, let's bring up the kid. And I could see that happening in like June. And he's fast enough that, you know, even if he hits like 230, 240, he could steal 25 bases if he gets the call on June 1st. So, I definitely think that he's someone in NL labor would be interested to see if he goes in the reserve round there because speed's so tough to find and he definitely has it. That's why he's 
a top 100 guy for me really has nothing to do with anything other than his speed and the fact that he's gonna have no problem getting playing time yeah the stolen base numbers haven't really matched up with that speed so far as a pro but if he improves his instincts as we think he should i mean the speed should play some saying he maybe has more speed than anyone in pro ball you agree with that like is he really like billy hamilton sierra buxton level speed i don't i don't think i would i think he's a 70 runner uh I mean, Jorge Mateo's faster than him. I mean, just among prospects, uh, Buxton's obviously faster than him. Um, but he's up there. He's, you know, guys like Rome, he's in that sort of Roman Quinn, Greg Allen range of speed where it's, it's easy 25, like Cameron may been like easy 25 plus steals if he, if he plays close to a full season. Awesome. Well, great stuff as always, James. We appreciate it again. Check out his, Top 400, which is constantly being updated. Uh, Roadwire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. When do you want to start this collaborations countdown? Do we have a set date for this? Uh, let's. How about the uh, the what, whatever pod we record the week of opening day? So we're going to record one on the night of opening day because it's Thursday, oh, that's right? right. Um, so let's just do it then. So March right. 20, whatever that is, 29th, something like that. Sounds good. I got some researching to do myself. That's a will... fun. That's a fun project to research. Yeah, that's exactly. the kind of research I like. And I'm do going on this trip, so I'll have some time on the plane and uh, downtime in the hotel to to do that research. So should be fun. We appreciate you guys listening to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel. Talk to you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.